Well, tonight we want to look at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5. And um, we're going to be talking about five characteristics of integrity as Solomon kind of draws it out here for us. Um, I think you'd all agree that integrity has taken a hit in our modern day, (laughs) in our society today. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about somebody um, in business who's compromising the numbers so they can look better and their stock will go up or whatever it might be, or issues within relationships where integrity is compromised. Um, It's really almost seems like a lost cause uh, in a lot of areas in our country because of everything that's going on. But Solomon, remember, he was the wisest person um, who ever lived. So he has a lot to say here about this in the ancient world. And he was very much aware of the the problem uh, dealing with the lack of integrity. And uh, that's kind of the the subject matter tonight. So turn in your Bibles here to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And I just want to read for us the first um, seven verses. And we want to pray that God would uh, apply these to our hearts. He writes there, in beginning in verse 1, Ecclesiastes 5, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth, let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Verse 7, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, vanity, but God is one you must, is the one you must fear. Um, You know, I see here basically five ingredients for the topic of integrity. And uh, we want to look at them in their their whole. But what does it mean to have integrity in your life? Um, Basically, bottom line, real basic definition is, is to do what you said you would do, Right? I mean, to follow through, to keep your promises, to make sure that your, your statements that come out of your mouth are thought out, they're clear, they're honest, they're open with all people. And really the text is focusing in on the most important person is the Lord. Make sure our integrity is in place with that. And um, so he starts off here and he says... Integrity involves a cautious response to coming to God. That's what he says there in verse 1. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And what he's implying is to have integrity in your Christian life, 
does not mean that we wake up Sunday morning, we fly into the presence of God and uh, demand what we want. And yet, as believers, at least I know for myself, sometimes that's almost how I treat God. You know, I fly into his presence and crisis situation, you cry out to him in prayer and, you know, okay, give me this, give me that, and it'll all be good. Um, That's not what is representative of integrity. Integrity involves a cautious response in coming to God. Um, In other words, we don't come to God with familiarity in our hearts in the same way that we would come before our friends or our relatives. Um, Even though we have the right in Christ to be familiar with God because, right, of the work of Christ, we're not strangers to God anymore. That, That gap has been bridged through the work of Christ. But at the same time, I think you would agree in our society today, people have become too familiar with, quote, what, the man upstairs? You know, um, things like that. It's basically telling us that we we shouldn't take advantage of God. Um, that we shouldn't be frivolous with our relationship with God. Sometimes I think we can be pushy. <laughs> we can try to manipulate God. That's how we think anyway. I mean, we can't ultimately manipulate God, but in our minds, sometimes that's how we treat him. And so integrity, what he's showing here, is a response that's, that's filled with caution when we come before God. In other words, we understand who God is. Um, and I, the, the culture has lost any sense of who God is. They've lost the sense of the presence of God. They've lost the sense of the power of God. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of believers have watered down God to the point where he's palatable. And he's okay. We want to make God somebody that's love, 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 and more love. And people like that. And somehow I think society today thinks that they could even take on God. <laughs> I mean, by their actions, they kind of show that. Um, that somehow they can understand God. That somehow they can relate to him as a buddy or, you know, as a friend. Now, he is that in Christ, don't get me wrong. But we don't want to forget who God is. I think because we're relational you know we we have relations with people we talk with people horizontally Um, sometimes i think we lower god who is infinite he's above everything there's no way we could relate to god on a horizontal plane he's far above us but we think at least we treat our relationship with him sometimes like that way and so we have to be careful with that And that's what I'm talking about, this cautious response in coming into God's presence and into understanding who he is. And I think today people have lowered the infinite God 
from who he really is. And there's a danger in making God so transcendent, on the other hand, and so far above that none of us could ever reach out to him. And we're not saying that. But there's also a danger in making him so much a part of us that he becomes less than who he really is. And, and there, you, you have to have a fine middle there. Because clearly, if you read the Bible, you understand that God is not like man. But hopefully you also understand the truth that God is also like man. He's both. And sometimes we favor one over the other. And we, we need to understand, I think, in some sense, that he is like us, and yet, in the same sense, he's different. And when you mix those two up, you have problems. <laughs> um, and that's what we have to be careful of. Uh, in the sense that he's like us, think of it this way. Um, the Bible says that he has a personality, right? He's a person, and so do we. We have a personality. We're created in his image. Um, we think with our minds, God thinks. I mean, he has the capacity to think and to, to, to rationalize and all that. Um, so we, we have to be uh, understanding of, of who, who God is. God feels, we feel. We have that similarity. You read through passages of the Scripture, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. That's a feeling. Um, God makes decisions throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible. Well, guess what? He's given us a capacity to make decisions. So in that sense, we're very much like God, I think, in so many different ways. But in the sense in which he is different from us, when, when we think of God being different from us, what do we focus on? We focus on what? God's attributes, right? There's certain things about God that there's no way we could even hold a light to. God is um, an eternal being. I mean, we are in the sense that I mean, we will live on in eternity, but here on this earth, we're not eternal. We're mortal. Um, you think of God as being omnipotent. He's, he's uh, all-powerful. But what are we? We're limited in our power. Uh, now, sure, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens, but that doesn't make us omnipotent. <laughs> All right, there's, there's some boundaries there. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. I mean, wouldn't you love that? I mean, can you imagine being everywhere at once? I mean, that would probably have its blessings and, and the negativity of that as well. There's probably some places we wouldn't want to be. There's some things we wouldn't want to see. But God is everywhere at the same time. We're not. You know, we're, we're localized in one place. God is omniscient. He, he, he knows everything that could ever be known. And then some. <laughs> and yet, we are limited in our lifetime here, in our knowledge of, of, of what we know. Some people are gifted with more knowledge than others, but we're all limited. We're, none of us have total, complete omniscience and know everything. 
Maybe growing up you thought your parents knew everything, only to find out that, well, maybe they didn't. Or you think of God and his perfection. He's completely perfect in every way, and yet we're imperfect as human beings, as his creation. God is infinite. There's no limit to his resources. There's no limit to his understanding. There's no limit to his power. None. You can never reach a point and say, well, God topped out there. Never. It doesn't work that way with God. And yet, we are very limited every day. Um, so God is different from us, therefore, but it also, he's the same about us. He's the same like us in his personality. And I think today, because of the way we relate to each other on a horizontal plane, it makes us hard to relate to God on a vertical plane. I mean, we have needs. Um, the focus is on our relationships. The focus is on ourselves. The focus is on man, how we feel. And so those kind of things cause us to relate to God really uh, horizontally rather than vertically. We want to think God is on this, on this localized plane with us. And we, we forget the scriptures that point out that when we come before God, the scripture teaches us that we should what? Fall down on our face in humility before a holy God. Understanding the God whose presence we're in. And there's been this kind of chumminess with God <laughs> nowadays in so many churches. You know, and you can see it in everything. You can see it in literature that's being written. You can see it in songs that are being sung. You can go to a church service and it's almost like a party, a concert. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in its place. I mean, I like a good concert. Um, but you can hear it even the way Christians talk. Like I said, the man upstairs, they refer to God as, as things like that. And we all do, you know, I mean, to be honest, we all sometimes relate to God that way. And all I'm saying tonight is that we have to be careful because what Solomon points out is that when we're coming before God, coming before the holy, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, we have to be cautious, even as believers. We don't want to lose that. Um... Because God is not simply um, limited to who we are. God is much more than who we are. Far much more. Uh, and his greatness sometimes, I think, is violated by the way we approach him, even as individuals. And so we need that cautious response. And what he points out here, he starts right off and he says, guard your steps. Do you understand this is the first set of exhortations in this book that we've come to. This, this is the first time where Solomon's actually pointing out to us. I mean, up to this point, he's been talking about all the different things of life, but now he says, you know what? Now I'm going to apply what I've told you about life. This is vanity, that's vanity. Well, now you're going to apply it. And here's what he says. He says, guard your steps in the ESV. The, the New King James, I think, says, walk prudently. Um... Well, when are you to do this? When you go to the house of God. What's he saying? He's saying, watch the way you come to the house of God. Watch, watch the way that you're walking. Guard the way you're acting. Guard your contact, in, conduct. Be very 
you might say, careful. Um, because you're entering into the presence of God. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. So there's a couple things here I want to point out. The first one, I think this kind of caution toward God shows us two things. It recognizes the need for worship. That's the first thing. It recognizes the need for worship. You know, we're not here on Sundays or Wednesday nights to be entertained or, you know, to to just slap each other on the back and I'll praise. I mean, that all that has a place. I don't think we should walk into the, the church on Sunday mornings all sober and ashes on our head either. You know, we're here to have a what? What do we call our worship service? We call it a worship celebration service. I mean, it's we're celebrating our relationship with God. We're celebrating the fact that we can gather in the same place and come under the teaching of God's holy word. I mean, that should be something we celebrate, not something we endure. And so there's this need for worship. Richard DeHaan said this. He said, regular and sincere worship of the Lord is the best way the believer can keep his priorities properly aligned. Regular and sincere worship of the Lord is the best way a believer can keep his, pro- his priorities properly aligned. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse uh, 3 and 4, I'll just read it for you. It says, for the time is coming when, guess what? People will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. You ever had your ear itch or your nose itch? Or, you know, what do you got to do? You got to scratch it. You know, you, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers. I love what this says, to suit their own passions. In other words, you know, these kind of people look at, at churches and they look at ministries and they look at things like that like a smorgasbord. You know, oh, Pastor Joe's teaching on that. I want to go there. Well, next week I'm going to go over here because he's teaching. And there's no commitment to the local church. There's no commitment to the body of Christ. There's, there's nothing. You just go wherever you want to go. And he says in verse 4, and will turn away from listening to the truth. So they've come under the teaching of the truth, but what are they doing? They're not interested anymore in the truth. They're interested in having their emotions stroked or having their feelings. And so it says uh, they've turned away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. (laughs) That's what Paul tells Timothy. And he doesn't say this might happen. He doesn't say possibly. He says the time is coming when this will happen. People will not endure sound teaching when I was back east, I was talking to a couple people in ministry, and they were saying, well, what's it like out there in California? I said, I don't know, don't ask. It's kind of frustrating, to be honest. I said, especially in our area where we live. You know, people aren't breaking down the door to hear truth here. I mean, even Christians aren't. They'd rather go to a church where they could get lost in a pew, listen to a concert, and go home and feel good about themselves because they, they walked to church or they, they got to church that Sunday and checked it off their list. You know, uh, that's not someone who's interested in truth. That's someone who's interested in feeling good about themselves and adding to their own self-righteous attitude. And so he says there in verse 5, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, 
that has the idea of, you know what, be alert, be, be thinking about what you're being taught. Be thinking about what you're teaching. He says, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And then he goes on to talk about being poured out as a drink offering. You know, a lot of people don't want to hear that kind of talk. They don't want to hear the talk about Christianity being a sacrifice or dying to yourself or any of those things. You know, they'd rather, much rather sit under somebody who's going to say, hey, you know, boy, you know, you deserve a blessing today. God wants to give you your best life now. All that stuff is error. It's from the pit of hell, and yet people are embracing it. I mean, why do you think these people's churches are 30,000, 40,000 people on a weekend? Because they're hearing what they want to hear. You know, their, their ears are being scratched. And it's, it's unfortunate. But we have to come back to the point where we understand the, in the Old Testament, the temple was a place where, where God localized his presence. That's what he did. I mean, God's everywhere. We just said that. But it was where the Jews came to worship God. They went to the temple. And when his glory would fill the temple, it was a sign that the worship was pleasing to him. And see, we've lost, I think today, that sense of coming together to worship God in one place. We often treat it lightly. Um, and so we have to be careful as the body of Christ when we come together that we understand why we're coming together. We're not coming together to entertain unbelievers. Even though unbelievers may be there, that's fine. If they want to come, hey, come on. You can hear the truth too. But see, there's, for years, a movement been going on that, well, we just got to dumb everything down because the unbelievers can't relate to this truth that we're trying to share. So on Sundays, we'll make it more evangelistic. We'll, we'll kind of have hip-hop music and do all this other stuff so so they'll come and hear the concert and then you know we can maybe slip the gospel in there and hopefully that's not going to work that's not the purpose of the church the purpose of the church is what for the edification of the believers you know and and so we don't want to lose sight in that now we should do the work of an evangelist and I'm not saying we don't even do that on a Sunday. I mean, I don't think there's a Sunday that goes by that I don't give the people opportunity to respond to the gospel. And, and whoever teaches pretty much does that here. They give people an opportunity to share in the gospel, to understand what the gospel means and to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And hopefully we trust that they respond in an affirmative way. But much more importantly is really the edification of the believers. Because that's why we're gathering together. I talked to one pastor and they said, well, we, you know, we don't sing any hymns because, you know, the, the people, the unbelievers that come to our church, they don't relate to the hymns. And so they can't worship God. I'm like, well, you got half of it right. They can't worship God because <laughs> they're not believers. So, yeah, so why are you dumbing things down to make them feel comfortable? You know, so there's a fine line there. Now, we don't want to just be obnoxious to people and turn people away for just because of that. We want people to feel welcome here, and they are welcome here. I remember one time somebody asked, well, what would happen in your church if, you know, somebody who practiced homosexuality came? I'm like, well, I can tell you what happened because it's already happened. <laughs> you know, we had a homosexual couple coming here for a couple of weeks. And by the way, we were teaching through Ephesians on family. And I remember, I think it was the second Sunday, 
the one guy said, boy, this, this is really good. This really helps us in our relationship. And I'm thinking, oh, goodness. What's going on here, Lord? And they hung around for a couple weeks, and they really, you know, maybe this isn't the church for us because we weren't going to affirm them in their relationship. But if they want to come and listen to truth, let them come and listen to the truth. Pray that God convicts their heart and they repent. And so we have to be kind of clear on this. We have to be careful with the idea that this recognizes a need for uh, worship. But it also realizes, realizes excuse me, the nature of our worship. It realizes the nature of our worship. Notice it says there, secondly, in verse 1, not only guard your steps when you go to the house of God, but what's he say? He says, to draw near. To what? What does it say? To listen. Draw near to hear. You don't draw near on a Sunday to come and, and, and give the sacrifice of fools. Um, the fool is somebody without integrity. The fool is someone who's made commitments to, to God without keeping them. That's, you know, you can uh, see that over, just right back in Proverbs chapter 15, I think, verse 8. Proverbs fifteen eight. It says this. It says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. See, the difference is, is, is one has integrity, one doesn't. The sacrifice referred to should be one of fellowship with God. But for the fool, it's just kind of like thoughtless festivity. No big party. There's no real worship there. Um, the person who responds to God realizes the nature of real worship. And you know what? They're, they're there to worship God. And so what are they? They're, they're attentive to God. Not just to listen, but to obey. See, we're not just here to listen to a sermon on a Sunday or a Wednesday night. We're here to hopefully apply that word to our hearts and walk away and go, okay, what does God want me to do with this truth that I've just been taught? Um, I'm going to give you a couple verses. You can look them up and then we'll read them. One is Hosea 14.2. Somebody could turn there. Hosea in the Old Testament 14.2. And then somebody else could read Luke eight eighteen, Luke eight eighteen, and then two more John chapter four, verses twenty three to twenty four, and then Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Actually, they're in there in your notes in your outline. So let's start with the the first one there. Hosea fourteen two. Anybody have that? All right. That we will pay or present with both the vowels of our lips. So what's he saying here? There's, there's some obedience involved here. It's not, you're not just saying this thing, but you're actually going to do something about it. How about Luke chapter 8, verse 18? I got that. Okay. Who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. 
Okay, once again, it's, it's kind of pointing out, you know, what the difference between someone with integrity and someone who would be foolish. Or John chapter 4, 23 and 24. I mean, we say that all the time. Well, God must, you know, we, we, we worship the Lord with spirit and truth. But what does, that, what does that mean? That's who God is seeking to worship him. He's not seeking people who don't know him. He's not seeking people who, you know, can't worship him. He's seeking true worshipers. Um, and that's, you know, comes out of the body of Christ. How about Hebrews thirteen fifteen? Yeah, I got that. Okay, go ahead. All right. So it, it kind of puts things, I hope, it puts things in perspective. You know, that, that, that we have a need for real worship, but the nature of our worship is one of not just coming and listening to a sermon or whatever. It's, it's obedience. It's action. It's, it's participation. And that's kind of what, what Solomon is, is pointing out there in that, in that first verse. Because he says there, um, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. In other words, they, they don't even understand. They think they're doing everything right. And yet, God is not accepting their form of worship. And yet, they don't even understand that. And so, the, the Father is continually seeking those who worship Him in spirit and truth. And uh, if you don't do that as a Christian, um, what happens in your own personal life is God seems to become further and more distant. And it's not God that's moving. (laughs) It's us. And uh, I heard somebody say, you know, you could could run a hundred steps away from God, but it only takes one step to be right back in his presence. And that's really what it's all about. You know, we, we sometimes we beat ourselves up because we had gone down this path and then we feel, oh, so unworthy that we won't even confess our sin and turn around and embrace God again. Knowing that he's there all along waiting for us to do that and, and he's right there with us. Um, see, and all of integrity flows out of this cautious response to God. So don't be frivolous in your your worship of God or your study of his word or whatever. That's why, you know, the Bible calls us to be diligent. The Bible calls us to be committed. The Bible calls us to to be overcomers. All those things take effort. In our Christian lives, we don't become strong believers by taking the Bible and putting it under our pillow at night. I wish that were the case. (laughs) But it's not. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes Making priorities. You know, we all have the same amount of minutes, same amount of hours every week. And it just it depends on, okay, are we serious about this? Or is this a Sunday go to meeting kind of thing for us? So we need to be aware of that. Secondly, integrity is controlled 
reluctance. Controlled reluctance. Look at what he says in verse 2, in speaking before God. In other words, be careful what you say. He says, do not be rash with your mouth. In other words, don't be careless. Now, we all say stupid things at times, at least I do. Ask my wife. But I pray it's not a way of life. I pray that it's... Thank you. I pray that it's... (laughs) That's on tape. I I, I pray that it's, uh, you know... uh, when that happens, it's met with conviction and, you know, there's remorse involved. But he says, do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. In other words, so many times I think, even in prayer meetings, we're so quick to, you know, just, okay, well, let's start the prayer meeting. Okay, well, we just start praying. And, and I think what Solomon's trying to tell us is, you know, you might want to be a little more controlled in your words before a holy God. You might want to be a little more cautious. Um, And he refers there from being too quick to speak. Uh, This is almost the opposite of what you might think. Everyone seems quick to tell you what they think or, or quick to tell, talk about their relationship with God. But James chapter 1 verse 19 tells us, let every man be swift to what? To hear, right? Slow to speak. It's just the opposite. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 13, says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is his folly and shame to him. How many times have you done that? You had a conversation, somebody's talking, well, and you interrupt, and, you, and they're like, well, no, that's not even what I'm saying. You know, why don't you let me finish? You know, I do that occasionally, and it's, I'm sure it's irritating to the people. But see, integrity is never too quick to speak, especially in the presence of God, especially when you're addressing God. Um, So you want to refrain from being too quick to speak. And then secondly, it it remembers the position of God and man. And that's kind of what he points out here. He says, be be careful not to utter a, a word before God. And then he points out why. Why does he say, well, you know what? God's in heaven, (laughs) and guess what? You're not. You're on earth still. So, you know, there's a little difference here. And that's why I started off by saying there's ways that God is like us, but there's also ways that God is totally not like us. And so he says, for the God is in heaven, and you're on earth. Um, What controls our tongue both in in public and in in prayer you know we we need to be, be we need to be thoughtful of that um in matthew chapter 6 matthew chapter 6 uh, verse 5 and 6 uh, matthew writes this and you can turn there if you want matthew 6 5 and 6 He says this, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. What does that tell us? That hypocrites pray. (laughs) That's what it tells us. So just because you see somebody praying doesn't mean there's some godly saint. They could be a hypocrite. And then it tells us how they pray. It says, well, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues 
and at the street corners. Why? So they can be seen by others. Um, it depicts really somebody who is not sincere. It, it depicts somebody who's wearing a mask. You know, we just went through Halloween and stuff, and people dressed up in crazy costumes and wore masks. Uh, that's really what it's talking about. Usually when the Bible especially refers to someone as a hypocrite in the New Testament, normally it's, it's describing someone who's not a believer. Most likely they're not a believer. So he says they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, what they have their reward. <laughs> in other words, everything they get is the people pointing, going, oh, look at that guy. Look at him praying on the street corner. That's all they're going to get. That's it. And then he goes on there, and he says in verse 6, but when you pray, what are we to do? Go into your room. Not only go into the room, but he even says shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, you know, I pray that when we, when we pray to the Lord, we're not doing it for show. I told this story before, but I remember when I first got saved, I ended up, I was within probably a month and a half, I was in Bible college. You know, I knew the Lord about two months maybe. And I was in Bible college, and it's summertime, and so they had kind of informal thing going on, and they had devotion, dorm devotions, a couple times a night. And I remember the first devotion. I didn't know what a devotion was, you know, let alone, you know. So, you know, it's in the, it's in the, uh, it was in the uh, kind of the uh, entertainment center there. So we went down there, and they had a fire there, and, you know, everybody's sitting around this circle, and I thought, oh, this is interesting, what I get myself into here. I'm already feeling kind of awkward. I don't know anybody, and... And I was sitting right next to the RA guy, and uh, you know he gave a little talk, a devotion, which was kind of neat. And he goes, "Well, now let's we'll, we'll go to prayer." And so he goes, "Well, we'll go around this way." And so he started praying, and he ended his prayer. And so I had my head bowed, and I was praying in my mind. I didn't say anything, didn't talk, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't know if I was going to pray the right words. So I was just in my mind praying. And all of a sudden, I felt this nudge, and he's like, oh, "Steve, are you going to pray?" Uh, I already did. Well, we didn't hear you. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. You know, I mean, that was kind of my response. And and I thought, okay, I did something wrong here, you know. And they they understood, you know, okay, well, this guy's really green. So, oh, okay, we'll just go, you know, the next guy can pray. And, and I finally caught on, you know. But, see, the idea here is that I, I wasn't there to pray so they could hear me, you know. And it's nothing wrong with praying out loud in a prayer circle. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying sometimes we get our focus and rather than, I mean, I don't know about you, but I do this often in a, in a prayer time. Um, rather than sincerely praying about what's going on, I find myself, maybe just because I'm a critical person, I'm criticizing the people's prayers, <laughs> which is not good. Well, what would they say that for? You know, 
Or, you know, sometimes, you know, the one that really gets me is, well, Lord, you said where two or three are gathered in your name. And I'm like, that's not even what it's talking about. You know, and in my mind, I just go off the rails. I don't say anything, obviously, but, and, you know, it's just an innocent thing. And I'm thinking, okay, that's wrong. That's, that's, that's my own heart issue there. And so we have to be careful, I guess, when we come to the Lord in prayer that we're doing it with kind of the right, uh, the right attitude. Um, and we don't want to be, you know, too, uh, too, too, too quick to do, to, do um, to, to speak in his presence or anything. But we also need to remember who God is and who we are. And then thirdly, um, how does that end? It, it, it results, he points out there, basically in, in less words. In other words, let your words uh, be few. Uh, that's really what he's, what he's saying there in verse 2. So sometimes when we pray, it's not the matter of how we're praying or the tone of our voice, any of that stuff. God doesn't care about that. I mean, we may care about it, but God doesn't care about it. And so, you know, we just have to, you know, we've all been in those prayer meetings where, you know, you have some guy that, you know, they have a voice like this, and then comes time to pray, our Heavenly Father, and <laughs> just like, whoa, what's happened to this guy? He didn't even talk that way. Why is he, why, why is his tone changed when he goes to prayer? And, you know, and I'm not trying to make fun of anybody, but I'm just saying, that, that, that's kind of weird. You know, that's, that's not normal. You know, God is a God, I mean, we can talk to him just like we're talking to each other, and yet we have to do so with some reverence and some, you know, hesitation, I guess. Some controlled reluctance, as it says. Um, and then the third thing here, verses 4 to 5, integrity is a clear resolve to fulfill your commitments. See, that's why your, your, your words should be, uh, be few. It says there in verse uh, 3, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. You don't want to be a fool, especially in the presence of God. So he says, when you vow a vow to God, you, you, what's a vow? A vow is, is a, a promise. You know, how many of us have we, honestly, made a vow to God and we never kept it? You know, God, you get me out of this situation. Lord, if you would just, boy, I'll... And as soon as the situation's resolved, the vow is forgotten. We have to be careful with that. Um... So we have to have a clear resolve to fulfill our commitments. He says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. Why? Because he has no pleasure in fools. It would be a fool to go before God and say, God, I promise you this, and then not do it. I mean, it's not like God's going to forget. <laughs> it's not like God doesn't understand what's going on. Um, so integrity is whatever you have committed yourself to do. Integrity that inner integrity will drive you to do it, even if it's difficult. You're going to be willing to do it. And the first thing it does is it refuses to delay doing what you promised. That's, that's what he um, doesn't want us to do. And I, I've talked to people who, you know, they become a believer and you, you disciple them and then, you know, well, you know, you should probably get baptized. Oh, I will, I will. And you talk to them 
10 years later and they're still not baptized. It's like, what in the world are you thinking? You know, you, you're, other than it's biblical to do so, what is the problem here? I mean, you, 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 at least I heard you promised the Lord you're going to do this and you still haven't done it. What's going on? And so it says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. In other words, and he goes on there, you shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. And so it's our own doing you know, that we make these vows sometimes. And we, he's just telling us here, you know, just be cautious in that. Make sure that you don't delay in doing what you promised. Uh, it reaffirms our obligation to pay the vow. That's what he says there in, in verse, the end of verse 4. He says, pay, uh, pay what you vow. And he says, it's better that you should vow, not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Because that, you know, when you make a vow to God, that, that kind of implies that there's an obligation there. That's what it is. It's a promise. Um, it, it, it's a, kind of an accounting term, but it doesn't just deal with financial matters here. It, it also deals with promises we make uh, verbally. So it's... You know, it's something that we need to be reminded of. Over in, in Psalm 76, verse 11. Psalm 76, verse 11, it says, Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. Um, so it shows us that the reason we pay our vows is because we're accountable to God, not just men. Um, first church I was in, First Baptist Church of Fremont, we used to have a missions um, conference every year. And in the missions conference, we would have a, um, I'm trying to remember, that. I think they called it a faith pledge. And so they would hand out all these cards, they'd pray about it, and then they'd hand out these cards, and you had to write on this little card what you pledged to give to missions that year. And they had a little thermometer, I remember it, up on the thing. And they'd raise the thermometer every night of the thing. Oh, it's up to 10000 or whatever. But it was all pledged. There was no money there. And I remember, you know, halfway through the year, the pastor inevitably would say, remember what you pledged. <laughs> you know, the thermometer says this, but in reality, we only got this. So somebody's not fulfilling their pledge. And, you know, that, that was a very clear reminder of to everybody that, you know what, you better understand your obligation um, to do what what God has called you to do. And the reason we do that um, is because, because we know that we're accountable to God. We're not just accountable to men. You know, a lot of times churches have what they call, men's groups have what they call accountability groups. And they're fine. That's good. It's always good to have, you know, as we read earlier in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes accountability groups are given power that they really don't possess. 
I've talked to too many men who, well, I go to accountability group on Monday night. You know, I go to AA or I go to this or I go to that or I go to this group for pornography or I go to that. Well, how's that? How's that going? Well, you know, I fall all the time. I got <laughs> Well, okay. Do you understand? You're not accountable to that group. You're accountable to God. I mean, think if that group was following you around 24/7. You'd probably be a little less apt to fall back into your way of sin if somebody was there to see you doing it. And we forget so many times that God is. God is right there with us all the time. Um, In my office, I keep a picture of my grandkids and daughter and son-in-law, my wife right there, kind of up on the wall by my desk. And it's right behind my computer screens. And I'm thinking, gosh, it's a reminder of me. You know, I mean, one little click on a computer Screen can open up a whole world of whatever, sin. And I thought, the thing that, that kind of helps me stay on that narrow path is, how would I explain to them that their grandpa is no longer a pastor because he did something he shouldn't have done? But ultimately, I'm not accountable to them. I'm accountable to who? I'm accountable to God. Um, and so we need to be you know, realistic about that, and we need to be reminded of that but then it also reveals the importance of making a vow in the first place that's what he says there in verse 5 you know it's better you don't even do it if if you're not going to do it if you're not going to pay the vow don't make the vow Um, and, and just be real about things and that's where transparency comes in and you know there's so many people I think that that end up doing things in churches out of guilt. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's working in the kitchen or helping out with the ushering or helping whatever, you know, somebody, ah, they don't know how to say no, so they do it, and, uh, you know, they're, but they're kind of begrudgingly doing it. They, you wouldn't know that. And, and that's never right. That's never right. You know, when you, make a, when you make a commitment to something, it should be because God is, is leading you to do that, participate in that, or whatever it might be. Um, it's better not to do it if you're doing it begrudgingly. Uh, I remember one when I was at First Baptist, I was over their Sunday school thing too, and I remember this one lady every Sunday, you know, how'd Sunday school go? And she taught, you know, the younger kids. Oh, those little brats, you know, they really got me going today. You know, just, and she was a big, big lady, you know. I see a lovable lady, but she just had this major attitude. Like, why are you even in there? You know, I mean, if it's so hard for you to do this 45 minutes with this group of kids, maybe you're not called to do it. And I remember at one point having a talk with her. I said, have you ever thought, well, what do you mean? I've always taught this class. I'm not giving up. You know, you just saw the real purpose. That was her little kingdom, you know, and no one was going to take it from her. And it was sad, you know. I mean, she was faithful and taught the kids the, the word and stuff, but I mean, I mean, when she came, uh, the kids, man, they got out of her way. You know, here comes Mrs. So-and-so. Let her go. Um, And then the fourth thing here, integrity is a continual resistance. Continual resistance to sin. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, let not your mouth lead you into sin. (laughs) Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say... Don't make an excuse and say, well, the messenger, before the messenger, oh, it was a mistake. 
a couple things here. It respects the attitude of God and our accountability to Him. Integrity respects the attitude of God and our accountability to Him. Over in, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, it says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perversiveness in it breaks the spirit. Psalm, I'm sorry, did I say Proverbs? Yeah, I know, I'm reading that. I'm going, wait a minute, you're right, Psalm, Psalm 15. Thank you, Shelley. <laughs> Psalm 15.4 In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord? And then it says this, who swears in his own hurt and does not change. And so, you know, the whole idea that, you know, we're, we're accountable uh, to the Lord. And then secondly, there it reinforces the danger of our fantasies and foolish words. Sometimes we, we think things that maybe are not God's plan that's what he's pointing out there. Um, there in verse in verse seven, for the dreams increase, and words grow many, but there is uh, vanity. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't have dreams and fantasies and things like that. But what it's saying is, you know, just be be careful of that you don't want to base your vows and your commitment to the Lord on on something that's fanciful and not really the Lord's leading. Um, and sometimes, you know, that's a very real thing. I mean, I, I've talked to people over the years who, you know, well, God's given me this vision to do this and do that. And it's like, I mean, you talk to the person for five or ten minutes, you realize they don't have the capacity to do that, period. And they're living a, a fantasy. They're living a, a dream. They're In their mind, they think that this is, you know, Okay, now I'm not saying that God couldn't use them in that way or whatever, but I'm just saying that they're they're definitely not dealing with the the reality of, of the, their the situation, and so you have to be be careful of that. And then the fifth thing here, integrity is a constant uh, uh, reference for God, reverence for God, and that's what he says here in the end. God is the one you must fear. Um, that's the advice he gives us. You know, basically uh, these seven verse verses can be summarized with that fear god fear god not in a cowering in the corner kind of fear because the bible tells us to what as christians we can do what we can come boldly into the presence of god right before the throne of grace so you know it's not that you know we have to be afraid of god but we have to have a healthy respect and a healthy reverence for god Um, the niv says therefore stand in all of god we sing a song, or we used to. We haven't sung in a while, but there's a, a song called um, "I Stand, I Stand in All of You, God." You know, or whatever. It's a good song, and it just reminds us that you know what? When we're worshiping God, we're not here to, you know, be looking around. Oh, what are they wearing? And you know, we're, we're, we should be focusing on the Lord. And and that's one thing you know I appreciate about our church and the worship team. You know, we're not up there trying to, you know, impress anybody. We're not up there trying to. Uh, uh, draw attention to us you know that's not the purpose the purpose is to focus on on christ and christ alone and psalm 5 7 says this psalm 5 7 but as for me i will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy he says in fear of you i will worship toward your holy temple 
and you know, I, I trust that you know when we gather together as believers, that those the integrity um, really permeates our heart, and we understand what it means to to come before God with sincere hearts and, and be willing to worship Him in spirit and truth. And you know, if we can do that every Sunday, boy, we're, we're doing a lot. <laughs>